Welcome to the WattPod, a journey into the world of the most exciting clean tech startups, powering the energy transition and our carbon-free future. We will learn about the journeys of these companies and their founders, their backgrounds, the hurdles they face, those they have overcome, as well as the breakthrough innovations they are delivering. We will also explore what investors and innovators are looking for as we head towards a cleaner, more distributed, more flexible energy system. What innovations and investments are required to ensure access to cheap, reliable, and responsible energy? Our guests bring a range of expertise and insights that will help us understand what developments are taking place. I look forward to our discussions with them and this journey with you. Today, we welcome Ali Chehersas and Nima Tabatabai, co-founders at Optimize Infrastructure. Ali is also the co-founder and CEO at Terra Verde Energy, an independent energy advisory, whilst Nima is also the CPO at Moto Energy, who will be appearing on the WattPod in coming weeks. Optimized infrastructure's mission is to fundamentally improve the economics of solar. They do this by coordinating power flow across distributed energy resources to achieve higher returns on equity. They are strong advocates for Bitcoin mining backed by renewables and their technology is helping to unlock the value behind the complex relationships between solar, storage, grid and Bitcoin mining that will provide necessary returns for miners. Guys, welcome to the WattPod. Thank you. It's really good to have you both here. We've been talking for, for quite some time now, and I'm really excited by this space that you're working in. Would you mind starting off perhaps by giving a bit of an overview of the problem you see and the reasons that you're working in this area? Definitely. Uh, well, thanks for having us, Mitch. Uh, we see a problem here with uh, or an opportunity where we're looking to bring Bitcoin mining to renewables, primarily solar, wind, hydro, uh, where we believe mining can help solve a, a headache, a problem that renewables have. And this problem has an origin story, which we can get into, uh, but at the crux of it, there are a couple of foundational challenges that renewables have that uh, need to be solved for in order to really unleash the power of solar and wind to the grid. The, the problem that we see, which is a bit of a feature of what renewables have, is that renewables inherently are prisoners of time and geography. By that, what we, we mean is that renewables aggregate around areas where the resource is the best at. So where there is sunny areas, windy areas, that's where renewables come to. That's where they aggregate, that's where they connect to the grid. And generally that works well for the economics of those projects. What we have been seeing take place in the, in the space is that, and this is an observation that over the past decade plus that we've been in the space, is that at some point when grid penetration of renewables exceeds somewhere between five to 10%, you start to see some solar or wind value deflation take place on the grid. And these are observations that are recorded and documented well by the industry itself, including a great report that came out by Lawrence Berkeley National Labs that really shows the effect of solar value deflation, curtailment, and the issues that cause it 
as, as it has been transpiring in the industry. The, this whole prisoner uh, concept has to do with the fact that because renewables are tied to the space or tied at where the resource is greatest, physically they're tied to the very specific locations. The, the time constraint comes when the resource becomes available. When there is wind blowing, you can generate power. When the sun shines, but you can generate solar. When you have reached that critical grid penetration point, what you start to see is that the value deflation start to eat away at the economics of projects. And because these resources are tied to the grid and the grid is the only place for them to deliver their value, they become captive and their energy becomes constrained to just that one injection point. What we are trying to do is to give a degree of freedom to renewables by pairing them with on-site Bitcoin mining where they essentially get access to a global network for electricity, which is the Bitcoin network. And that is the vision where we set ourselves out to do to help figure out and bridge the gap between Bitcoin and renewables to help bring this value to the market and help the solar industry and the wind industry break away from this race to the bottom that we've had over the past decade and a half as we've gone very commercial and started to invest big into renewables and change the narrative around these renewable generators and by leveraging Bitcoin as another off taker for them, help them become the most profitable power plants on the planet. It's a really good intro. I, I love your analogy there of prisoners of time and geography. It's, it's not one I've heard before. I know exactly what you're talking about, um, but it's, it's such a good way to, to describe that problem to a, to a large audience. Um, maybe you could describe a little bit more about what the solution is that you're working on. Is it, is it purely software? Is Optimize actually looking at, at mining Bitcoin themselves? How do you see the company fitting into that space? It's a great question. Uh, what we are currently creating and working to develop is a software solution that performs the optimization exercise of matching the renewables power to where value for power is the highest. And solving that with the specific introduction of Bitcoin mining as another flexible load in a system of distributed energy resources. This embodiment of the software application that we have will be deployed physically at a site and it will interface with the EMS, SCADA, other data points that come into the OI optimization algorithm that will help make these decisions. We are envisioning building this out first at the utility scale size, where we have large scale solar wind plants, and then working our way down the market towards commercial, residential, and beyond, where the long tail of solar revenue optimization and valuation exists. And for, for clarity then, I mean, you mentioned about Bitcoin mining being an off taker um, and fitting into the overall platform that you're describing, but is it, is it exclusive to Bitcoin mining or can it be used by other 
utility scale solar um, or wind farms, for example. Yeah, there's a uh, very intentional reason why we're focusing on Bitcoin. And in a minute, I'll tag in uh, my co-founder Nemo to talk about uh, Bitcoin within itself. But this project really for us started a few years back, you know, just purely based on off of our curiosity about Bitcoin, blockchain, all things cryptocurrency. The, the realization that we had, the truth that we, that we stumbled upon after you know, digging into the actual nature of blockchains and Bitcoin and all the other cryptos was that driven by a lens that we look at many things in the solar industry, which is look at things from physics then math. You know, physics and finance is how we get to do renewable deployments in the world. And that's the lens where we look at um, you know, Bitcoin. And that, that realization helped us see something that's very obvious now, but at the moment it was a bit of an aha moment for us, which was Bitcoin is really a representation of a unit of energy that's protected by a wall of cryptography, which is basically math. And once we realize that Bitcoin is just, this is physics and math, and that's, that's the physics of it is energy, the math is just the cryptography. Knowing that energy and the future of energy is renewables and that we were going to be in solar and renewables for the rest of our careers, we knew that these two things were going to come together at some point. And purely knowing that there is energy needs behind Bitcoin, which Nima can explain really well, we, we picked that as a focus area, as a technology, as a cryptocurrency for us to uh, tie our, the success of this project with it to help create a solution for renewables. Nima, just to throw it over to you, why don't you give us a bit of an introduction to Bitcoin itself and to Bitcoin uh, mining, please? Sure, yeah. Um, <clears throat> a topic we, you know, read a lot about, see a lot about, um, but I think there's, there is still a lot of confusion in this space. And, and I think there's a real opportunity for the energy industry to, to grasp, you know, really what's going on here. So hopefully we can reach that, that audience. Um, I mean, Bitcoin itself, I'm not going to dive into in a lot of detail. I think everyone's read a lot about it, but basically Bitcoin, you know, is a, a distributed decentralized form of scarce money, right? Um, that as a concept in itself, right, um, has value to, to many people. Uh, it's an open access network open to 8 billion people in the world. Um, and, and it has value for different people, uh, you know, so people can opt into that system if, if they want, if that's how they want to store their value. But the energy question is really interesting. So these properties of Bitcoin that, that we like, right, that people like, the decentralization, the security, um, the censorship resistance, etc. You know, a lot of people want to attribute those properties to the fact that Bitcoin is a blockchain, right? And I challenge that. Those properties are due to the fact that Bitcoin is backed by energy. So those properties are derived from Bitcoin's energy backing, the thermodynamics that actually backs this currency and this, this, this ledger. So you can really think of Bitcoin miners as security providers 
to a uh, to a, to a ledger, you know, to a, a distributed database that's hosted all over the world, and anyone can host it. People say it uses 15 gigawatts of power. The way I phrase that is, Bitcoin has 15 gigawatts of energy security. So if anyone wants to attack Bitcoin, they would need to first harness more than 15 gigawatts of energy and direct that towards the network. Those properties of Bitcoin that we like, that, are, that people find valuable, they're derived from energy. It's energy-backed money. And, um, and the energy is the security element. Just to throw a common <clears throat> challenge in there, I mean, you know, 15 gigawatts is a lot of energy. Some people may say that, you know, that energy be better, better placed elsewhere. How do you yeah. think about it? Yeah, so I guess two important things to say there. I think one is to put it into context, right? So 15 gigawatts does sound like a lot of energy. Um, it's about, I mean, there's a great report from CoinShares that was just put out uh, last Friday. Uh, about energy and carbon in Bitcoin is is really worth reading. Um, so they estimate the network consumed about 89 terawatt hours in 2021. So let's put that into context. That's 0.05% of global energy consumption, right? So we're talking less than a tenth of a percent, right? So it is a rounding error or minuscule, right? In terms of the energy that goes into it, it would still be hard for har someone to harness 15 gigawatts of power to try and start attacking the network. So it is a it is a wall of security, but in the grand scale of things, I mean, we're talking about you know, well, like I said, 0.05 percent. I think they also did the carbon numbers, and it's 0.08 percent of global carbon emissions, right? So they've done a really robust analysis on that. Let me give another way to look at this question, Mitch. And that's through the lens of looking at the world from a scarcity angle or a world of abundance angle. You know, the conversation around 15 gigawatts of power to Bitcoin mining today, can we make that more efficient? Is that justified? That drives conversation around us attacking each other, attacking how we use energy for various reasons. And, you know, in some ways, it's just a world of where things don't grow, where we're, we're just focusing on a small amount. What we should be looking at it is through the lens of the world of abundance, which is figuring out how Bitcoin mining can be used to create an explosion in growth of renewables in the world. How that could help create opportunities where otherwise we would not have built solar in the past. And being involved, having had the pleasure of being in the solar industry since 2009, working on utility scale solar, commercial solar, working with tariffs, running all the physics and finance to make projects work. This is how we're looking at Bitcoin, which is all of a sudden we are seeing another buyer of electricity to throw in in the mix of all the electricity buyers where it helps us get away from the value deflation and a bit of this what we call anti-network effect that renewables have to help create this world of abundance. 
there are projects right now that solar developers all around the country, especially in states that are heavily solar populated like California, they're looking at it. Physically, we can install solar. There is some use case for it on, on site for load reduction, but the economics of the grid, time of use rates, wholesale market rates, utility regulations and tariffs actually prevent you from building a solar project there that now if you start to imagine adding another off-taker to the system, the system of DERs, not only are you going to build that solar project, but you're actually going to try and build the biggest solar project you can build in the footprint that allows for you to do so. A case example of that is warehouse rooftops. Massive areas, flat, very little load on site or variable load on site, depending on who is the tenant in that warehouse. You don't see these warehouses carpeted with solar from end to end because it's hard to justify who's going to buy that power. But you can imagine a world where you go in, you have whoever is the on site host. You know, depending on their usage, they can take some amount of solar or all of it. You have the grid, you have a Bitcoin miner. Then the equation changes. And now you're looking at finding as much rooftop solar as you can, carpeted with the biggest amount of solar plant you can build, which helps you create and install solar at the lowest levelized cost of electricity. Give as much power as a side host can take which we know will be cheaper than the grid and it will be 100% renewable. Use the Bitcoin mining and the grid to play the optimization of figuring out who takes which amount of electricity, if you can size your systems properly, add in the battery storage system for load shifting, time management. Then you start to have this beautiful orchestration where you're now enabling solar developers to go create more solar, deploy more renewables than the world would have otherwise had. That's a world of abundance. That's the conversation we want to have. We want the world to see. We've got uh, two quick things to add to that, if, if that's all right, Mitch. Um, yeah, one is, I think Ali's points are like really well laid out there. And there's another layer, which is the hundreds of gigawatts of projects that aren't even really being built because of because of the physics element that Ali said, right? They physically cannot connect to the grid. They're sitting behind interconnection queues. That means there's someone, there's capital, there's engineering designs, there's equipment waiting effectively, right? To be built. People want to build renewables today. They cannot build because the grid is not there yet, right? It's coming, right? But how much are we delaying like this whole process of the energy transition because of grid growth? Bitcoin mining is a very natural and trend like temporary potentially temporary buyer of that electricity you could build a project for mining and as soon as the grid is there if the grid rates are, are better if the economics is better mining will go away and you can connect to the grid and you can enjoy your, your better profits if that's where, if that's the way you want them but you've now enabled that project to be built to be ready to be fully operational by the time the grid can accept that that generation so that's one element. The other thing is, I think a lot of these conversations that we have, I'm in the UK, you're in Australia, Ali's in the US, right? Which is pretty cool. Um, but this 
a lot of the things we're talking about is a very first world conversation, right? The energy transition is a global thing. It has to happen all over the world, right? It can't just happen in the state of California and in the UK and in uh, Australia, right? That's not enough. That's not gonna, that's not going to deliver what the energy transition needs to deliver. And energy by the nature of these grids, right? It's, it, the grid grids are very national or regional, right? And it all comes down to the rules, the regulations, the economics of the, the specific grid that you're on. And that is, and I think you might know this very well from your background, Mitch, because um, I think you worked in this space. But that is one of the main bottlenecks for developing countries, which are resource rich, energy resource rich, natural like sunlight, wind, hydro, all the you know things that you need for renewables. They're rich in those resources. But it's the economics of the grid, the reliability of those economics, um, or the physics of just not having you know enough grids and enough grid infrastructure in place that prevents them from building out. Bitcoin mining is a global monetization pathway. The same way that you can monetize a project in Western Australia, you can do that in South Africa. You're connecting to the same market. You are paid the same for the same hash power, for the same hash rate that you put into the network, you are paid the exact same amount for what you put in. It doesn't matter that the grid rules and the electricity prices are different in those two markets, et cetera. You suddenly have like this global playing field that everybody can compete on. And we can unlock, not just in our countries, which are kind of like, you know, we're, the, the countries we live in are kind of like on the leading edge of the energy transition in a way. We can unlock the latent resources and, and the potential in every country through this technology. That's, that's where I think um, it's truly transformational. And like, we're not reliant on going to COP26 and fighting over $10 billion between this country and that country and trying to free up money and, and who's gonna pay who. It's like, if you guys wanna build renewables, you can build it. Here's how you monetize it. Here's how you build grids around your energy assets. You can build cities. Um, you have a economic load that allows you to kickstart. You know, like we have all this solar, right? But we're, one of the big challenges with solar has been kickstarting the microgrids in developing countries, right? Like we have this cheap generation source, but how do we get a grid to go? Well, we need an economic load. Well, no industry is going to move into a region without generation yet. And then solar, oh, it's not really... Uh, reliable enough, so you know the loads don't come, then the generation doesn't come. How do you kickstart that flywheel? Well, you come in with Bitcoin mining, you have a fully flexible monetization pathway for electricity, and then you can build society around that. Yeah, I, I totally get it. I mean, um, you know, we've been uh, openly talking about this for a while, and I I came to the same conclusion that you guys have come at, but from a bit of a different angle, which you've you've touched on there actually, Nima, in, in that energy access is is often inhibited, even with really cheap LCOEs, so you know, cost of energy over its over the lifetime of an asset um, in most of these countries by things like um, poor offtake um, credits. Uh, so you know, the ability to actually finance a project because you've got a single buyer market where it's a centralized authority that can be the only buyer of that power, but they've got a really bad track record of paying people back. So the only place that infrastructure in those countries can be built is often through uh, aid money, for example, 
or, or very targeted developmental finance, which is a real inhibitor to providing access to energy. So I was personally looking at this saying, there's got to be another way. And I'm going to actually ask one of my, answer one of my own leading questions, which I had for you, which is like, you know, what makes Bitcoin such a good um, offtaker? And it's because you, you essentially have a, 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 someone who can pay you for that energy in any location where you are, no matter what. Um, you know, there is an issue around rule of law and how that might work around certain regulations in those countries that, I, that I've had access in. But, you know, it, it's the same solution I've seen for many countries throughout Africa and Central America or the Asia Pacific, um, solving slightly different issues to ones of grid congestion and, you know, the, the, the tail of projects that you've got that want to come onto the grid that are just inhibited whether it's you know through a regulatory approval processes, et cetera. Um, so I, I can see Bitcoin playing a role um, in actually advancing renewable uh, development in many, many countries. Yeah, absolutely. The, the other area to really hone in on and just think about is this is all such new space. You know, Bitcoin has been around 13 years now. Bitcoin mining as a industrial operation, call it better part, maybe more than half a decade. But the way Bitcoin mining has been happening uh, is the old way. And it's not going to be the way that it gets us to go forward for the next 20 years where we mine most of the rest of Bitcoin and then forever when we have to keep the network secure. The way we integrate Bitcoin mining to the world and how it happens is going to change. And you know, in some ways, what we saw happen in China, Kazakhstan, those are making the case for this thesis that we have been talking about and the community has been getting behind and, and, and you know, doing it as well, which is going to find the lowest cost electricity tied to a grid powered by coal plant in some country with bad regulation or authoritarian regime, like that's not how this thing is gonna scale. That's how it actually died. That's why the US is now the mining capital of the world and all the conversations happening around renewables and solar and wind to help power Bitcoin mining. And this, this transition, this energy transition, Bitcoin is getting sucked into that as one of the ways where this energy transition is happening and being enabled. I've heard a really, there's a really good quote that I think captures a lot of stuff we're saying. It's, uh, it's not my quote, and I don't know whose it is, unfortunately, but I've seen it on Twitter. And it's a, Bitcoin is the, the new green deal for the entire world with no government involved, right? So you now have a clear economic incentive for any renewable project anywhere in the world, in any country, to be built. And it's and it, it doesn't rely on their grid. It doesn't rely on their regulations. It doesn't rely on, you know, the, uh, the centralized authority setting any prices or any subsidies or anything like that. That's a paradigm shift, right? And, and I think that's just sinking in to the energy industry, right? Like, this is the message we're taking um, we're kind of at the frontier of that conversation, I think, but this is starting to percolate through the energy industry. I think people are waking up to this opportunity that's that's out there now. Why can't we just install more so install more storage? Like, you know, what is it about the mining 
that provides additional value or better paybacks, for example, and, and you know, what is its flexibility? What's the value of its flexibility as well? Uh, good question. Uh, so batteries are very much part of the equation for this energy transition, this future we're headed into for a variety of applications. Um, I often have people asking me, you know, why not just batteries or batteries versus Bitcoin? And the answer is not versus, it's batteries and Bitcoin. And that really comes down to optimization in value of solar and optimization of your capital expenditure. With batteries, if that's your only play on the grid, um, then your only off taker is still the grid. And you're just doing a time value of solar shifting, right? And that opportunity might exist for some time or it might not. And the upside of it is again, grid dependent. So you have to take the risk on the, on the grid wholesale market side. And the amount of value of electricity you can store is really limited per day by how much battery capacity you have and how much you're willing to lose in terms of your uh, energy loss for converting from AC to DC and then back to AC. And then storage of electricity in the battery has a dissipation rate. You can't just keep it in there for a very long time. You do have auxiliary load losses. When you add Bitcoin mining to the equation, then your battery sizing also goes through an optimization exercise where your battery and storage of electricity inside a battery is not your only option. You now have basically a one-way battery of sorts, which can take, it's like an endless pit. It can take as much electricity as you can send it. It will just convert it to hash rate send a signal to the Bitcoin network, collect the rewards, create value instantaneously. But it does help you optimize the CapEx deployment of your project with another uh, revenue mechanism that's detached from your local grid, right? So it brings you from a local geography to a global geography. And bringing in the time lens with Bitcoin, you get to mine Bitcoin instantaneously collect the rewards through whatever mechanism you're involved in through your mining pool, you know, almost in real time. And you get to hold on to that value for essentially however long that you want it, right? There's no time value loss. There's no dissipation of energy. Once you've converted your electricity to hash rate to Bitcoin, that's a digital item. You don't lose that. There's no dissipation of its loss. You don't have to get rid of it the next day. You can hold on to it. And that actually provides a very interesting project monetization strategy where investors are getting into this space. They are capitalizing the cost of solar, battery, Bitcoin, or any combination that needs to happen for this system to exist. And they're also capitalizing a number of the years of the operational cost because they're banking on mining Bitcoin when it's profitable, hold, holding onto that Bitcoin and only selling, converting Bitcoin for cash when they have to meet any portion of their debt service coverage ratio or when prices spike where they can collect a good premium on price of Bitcoin. But they get to essentially hold on to another token, another asset it doesn't have to be converted to dollars right away. 
And that shifts the mechanism for funding projects that is going to really bring a different strategy to capital that we believe is going to attract a lot more ESG money than what we've seen to date to these kind of projects. So that's where the combination of batteries plus Bitcoin helps create that, um, that extra value add. Um, and the other side of this whole thing is that with batteries, you can help firm up the uptime uh, of the Bitcoin mining. Whereas without a battery, your Bitcoin mining uptime might only be in the 40% range at most, depending on sizing. But with a battery, you can push up to 80% range. And that gives you another opportunity to play with how much Bitcoin mining you want to do given the value of electricity. They are symbiotic, right? I mean, that's the way we see it. We see it as a symbiotic system where you can pair storage, mining, grid, and generation in an optimized way. Um, storage is one degree of freedom, like it allows you to shift through time, but ultimately you're still, you know, it doesn't de-risk the project fundamentally from the reliance on the grid for one, and it doesn't de-risk it for long because, you know, it might buy you four hours, eight hours of, you know, kind of like prices aren't good. Let me just put it in, you know, if you have a four, let's say you have a four hour system or a maximum an eight hour system, right? That's basically as far as you can go. Um, that's not really a long-term hedge. That's like, that's a short-term hedge against short-term volatility in the market, right? Bitcoin mining gives you long, it's a long-term hedge. If the market goes south, if grid prices are low for the whole summer, for some reason, or for a whole year, you're not, you're not exposed to that risk mm. because you have yeah. an alternative pathway. Yeah, I get it. And I think Ali also, also touched on it as well in terms of, you know, the, the time arbitrage value that you can receive, so excluding ancillary services for now, but time arbitrage you can, yeah. you can receive using storage is fairly limited, you know, subject to deregulated markets where you've got, you know, a wholesale market, essentially, you might be able to make a few cents a kilowatt hour in terms of shifting from, from one, mm. you know, from midday to the evening, for example, depending on how much solar you have in there. I mean, it's, it's a lot steeper in other markets, particularly in places like South Australia over here. Um, but there, you know, there is a limited value there. Um, you I know, think, um, yeah. just, uh, I don't even, not necessarily even like necessarily part of the podcast, but something that really excites me that I hope Optimize can do in the future. It's not even something that's necessarily on our roadmap yet. Yeah. Um, is, you know, cause you just mentioned ancillary services. Yeah. I think there's a big opportunity because, you know, Bitcoin miners are digital assets. Right at the end, very similar to batteries in a way, right? They're 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 much more like batteries than they are like conventional generation, which is like if you view ancillary services either being delivered by mechanical systems, right, like gas turbines and um, things like that, or by batteries, right? And batteries are out competing all the mechanical systems in these markets. Yeah. And Bitcoin miners are also digital systems, very similar to batteries. And they can be paired with batteries. And I think it's not been done yet, right? Because this is like three, four horizons out from where mining is today. But there could be huge opportunities potentially in the future to deliver frequency response and ancillary type services fast 
and civil totally. services. There's mining, I, I, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I, w- I would be surprised if it's not happening at the moment. You know, I think that if the, if the miners are getting, I don't think it's. And miners are getting price signals to turn down their mining operations. I I would imagine. Well, I know at least of some miners that are working in that space for sure. But in terms of frequency yeah. regulation, etc., I mean that's potentially another another step. But yeah, but for you know fast response for actually providing flexible load, I think that Bitcoin is is very well placed to be able to to do that. Um, actually. Yeah. And, one thing that I was surprised, I was, <laughs> Nima might have seen it. Um, I was commenting yesterday that the share in the UK of flexible load response is really high compared to storage from what I could see. I'm trying to dig into that a little bit more at the, at the moment. But you see in other markets that actually storage is, is really taking off. Flexible load is still a little bit stuck maybe because regulation hasn't really allowed that. But, you know, Bitcoin would be well placed to provide such a a flexible response and some of those ancillary services and you're seeing it now i mean there's this live experiment going on right now in ERCOT, like as we're recording this experiment because they have this winter storm coming in Mm. they had a you know a catastrophic winter storm last year which raised a lot of questions about renewables and grid reliability and um you know, winterization of get like it, it caused a whole debate, right? And what's happened in the last year since the last winter storm to this one is you've had basically Texas has become the Bitcoin mining center of the world because China banned mining. The majority of these miners moved to Texas and they deployed NERCOP. Um, and you're seeing right now, I mean, I've already seen tweets, right, from the Bitcoin mining companies telling telling the market and the public that, you know, they are ready, they are either ramping down right now in response to ERCOT signals or price signals, or that they are, they stand ready to do that, right? So we will have data in a few days about if these assets, if these flexible loads that everyone's been talking about, but to see it in a real market, in a price-driven market like ERCOT um, with open transparent data is going to be incredible. And I do think there could be a this could be a real tipping point in that conversation in the US. I think if 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 ERCOT can get through this event and Bitcoin miners are seen as um, you know being helpful in that process, and I think it's going to change that whole conversation of how they're perceived um, from a negative to a positive. So it's really interesting that it's, it's happening as we speak. Yeah, so let's let's follow that closely. I mean, this this podcast will be published in a few days, so maybe we can put something up as a as a follow up to that point. Definitely. Great. Well, look, um, we're going to have to start wrapping up. So, uh, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we do? Nothing beyond saying that uh, it feels pretty amazing to have a front row seat to this energy transition that, you know, has been part of the journey of our lives. And now it's been ever more so boldened by addition of the monetary policy backed by Bitcoin. I feel we are at the beginnings of uh, a really big transformation of how we do renewables in the world. And I just feel so grateful to be here at this moment in time. Great. So before we go, we, we're just going to do our WhatsApp section. It's three quick 
question and response. Um, so single sentence response um, to these questions, and I'll I'll um, I'll present them to you to you both and look for a response for you, from you both. Is it like a rapid fire? Rapid like... fire, yeah. Okay. Oh, let's go. Are you ready? It's only three, so it's not so hard. Okay. First one's Who's a personal. First? Up to you guys. Let's see. I'm just going to throw it out there. So, personal one. What are you doing after this podcast? And I think this is an interesting question because we're all in different different countries. So. One of you go. I'm going straight to sleep because it's almost 10.30 p.m. here. <laughs> I'm actually heading out to take uh, a flight lesson. That's something I started last year, trying to get my pilot's license as a hobby is another thing I do. So the weather looks good here in California. So I'm hoping I can you know, check in and go out for a, uh, for a ride. Ali, you win. Easy. <laughs> um, in one sentence, can't compete with that. <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping onto a Zoom call after this, so yeah, cannot compete. Um, in one sentence, summarize the energy transition. I think the energy transition, as we are envisioning it, is going to provide the biggest equitable wealth creation opportunity on the planet. Keyboards being equitable wealth being viewed as a positive thing for society. For me, the energy transition, I would describe it as a step change increase in the complexity of the system. What is an example of good environmental stewardship to you? A couple of years ago here in the UK, they introduced a very small charge. I think it's a couple of cents, a couple of pence, right? For plastic bags at uh, your grocery stores and stuff. And I was really skeptical of this, of the measure when they did it. And I was shocked by the impact it had. Introducing a tiny price signal into the people's everyday decision-making suddenly made everybody think twice about, do I need a bag? Can I carry the groceries? You know, I've only bought a bottle of milk. Can I carry the groceries home? People bring reusable bags now. Um, we, 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 we don't, you know, we don't even have enough plastic bags in the house to put our rubbish in because we don't get any bags anywhere. And that's like, we've gone from having hundreds of bags in our home to having zero for something that was almost trivial, I think, when they did it. And I, I count that as like a huge success. I just think of how many bags are not being produced and wasted from this very simple change. The price signal. Um, for me, what comes to my mind is I think community building is a key part of what comes to mind about this um, environmental stewardship. And that's to bring people in the fold and not be disheartened by the critics. And when they do come in, welcome them in, tell them we've been waiting for you. Thanks for joining the party. I think we have a long ways to go. The challenges are massive. And having a platform, um, creating an environment where people come in and join this challenge is, is um, I think that's going to get us there. So we need, we need more leaders to steward us towards that direction. Fantastic. I think it's a really good, really good note to end on. Um, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much, both of you, for joining. Thanks, Thanks, Mitchell. Great. Thanks for having us on. Appreciate it.
Thank you. Ali and Nima at Optifine Infrastructure. Thanks a lot. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, or leave a comment on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Spotify, or Google.